Welcome to the Autobahn Country Club Podcast, where your host, club member John Graybeal, opens the doors to America's premier auto sports club. Now, here's John. Well, I'd like to welcome Mike Gritter to the podcast. Mike is the track director? Track operations manager track and, operations and race director. And race director. <laughs> okay. So, let's start... I always like to start at the beginning. Sure. Where did you grow up, or where are you from? Uh, I grew up in South Holland, so South Suburbs of Chicago. Um, lived there uh, all my kid life, and then when I got married, I moved out to Beecher, which is even further south. So we're kind of out in the country. We've got our space out there, and I've been out in Beecher for what, 18 years. And that's east of the track, is it? Yeah, is so almost, almost straight east of here, um, just a couple miles from the Indiana border. Oh, really? So, yeah, so it's oh. kind of far, but it's all back roads to get here, so I'm not fighting traffic and all that kind of stuff, so it's right. actually an easy drive. 20, 30-minute drive? Is uh, about 35, 40. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So maybe some recent speeding, speeding tickets have slowed me down a little bit. <laughs> uh, maybe. That happens to me, too. Yeah, I always uh, reevaluate my speed when that happens. Yeah. Um, so you've been out there about 18 years, and how long have you been here? Well, let's not even get to the track yet. So you grew up in, in South Holland. Grew up in South Holland. And you got involved in racing. I Man, I, I've been a racing fan all my life. I can remember, you know, being a little kid and watching the Daytona 500 with my dad and cheering for Kelly Yarbrough. <laughs> yeah. And then um, we used to go on Saturday nights, we'd go to Raceway Park in Blue Island. And to me, that was just the highlight of the week is, you know, every Saturday, if we could go there, would have been great with me. And I don't know how often we actually went, but it seemed like every weekend. Um, and so I just I just loved hanging around Raceway Park and all the different things that would happen around there. Um, and then um, probably my first exposure, you know, then I started, you know, watching IndyCar races and Formula car, One car races on TV. And uh, 1984 was my first Indy 500 that I attended. I think I was uh, there in 1984. So, yeah, we were right there with Patrick Bedard's big crash happened in front of us. So that kind of left an impression on me. <laughs> um, yeah, Rick Mears won. And, uh, just, I think just that was, a, might have been my very first one, too, <laughs> 1984. It yeah. was a good race, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've been a racing fan all my life, as long as I can remember. Yeah. Is that the crash where he went into the front straightaway? Is that the one that kind of went up into no, the No, it was, it was between turns three and four, and he kind of came around turn three and just, like, kept turning straight into the infield wall and the car just exploded into turn four and the engine was around the corner and the cockpit was you know laying on the track and uh, everyone in the stands you know was holding their breath and it turned out he lived through it um you know he had some injuries to deal with and i don't think he ever raced again but um yeah so i remember that and i remember mirrors winning and uh so that was always pretty good yeah, I, I always enjoyed that. That's back when you couldn't get a ticket. I mean, because you have a sold, yeah. it was sold out. Yeah, so, so it was a big deal to go to the race. Yeah, I mean, sure. I always had to pay above. We found somebody down in Bloomington who had a ticket or something that couldn't go, and one of my friends would always find find me. He was a laborer, so he always found always found somebody that had a ticket that couldn't go. So, yeah, yeah. And, so my uh, dad was, uh, um, you know, I would say a moderate race fan. Uh, it wasn't the biggest thing in his life, um, but man, I sure loved watching the races. And then, uh, you know, then I got older after that and started going to races on my own. And, uh, you know, my wife was a race fan for a long time. Um, and it's just always been my, my biggest interest is was racing. And so 
Tell me about when you you're actually did you started in carts? Yeah, so I didn't get started in carts till uh, I was quite a bit older. So you know, as a teenager and stuff like that, and even younger, you know, it was BMX and dirt bikes and all that kind of stuff. And I had no one around me that really had any knowledge of racing or how to get into it, so I had no one to talk to. Um, and then uh, early twenties, um, I started. I finally made some contacts and got into karting. And so carted for several years, um, you know, mostly just regionally, um, you know, Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, that kind of stuff, um, and did that for several years. And then... Uh, and what kind of carts were you... I was racing a uh, Yamaha KT100, so it was Yamaha Heavy I was racing. Yeah, that's pretty... So, they're yeah. still ra- that's still a good engine, still racing. Yeah, it's, it's still yeah. out there. I hear right now yeah. it's kind of starting to be phased out a little bit, but it lasted a long time, and it's... That's a that's a fast engine too. When you throw a pipe on it, that's a fast cart. Yeah. Yeah, and karting, I still I still love karting. So you know, as you know, I get down to the kart track once in a while when I can. Yeah. Um, and you know, get the opportunity to jump in. I still I still love karting. I think it's great. Yeah, I I think that uh, the the first time I got to drive what I would consider real not uh, rental car, carts are a lot of fun, but when you first get to drive kind of a race cart, yeah, it it is just such a pure. I mean, it's it's there's no electronics. Stability control. There's no traction control. Right. There's no like no suspension steering or nothing. It's just you. And and when I I remember the very day that I drove uh, um, a guy over in Indiana was testing uh, Hoosier tires. They had, okay. He just got back from Le Mans, so I'm not even sure who the driver was, but he was from Michigan and drove down there. And boy, he was fast. And they said, "Hey, do you want to take the cart out that we were testing tires on?" And I'm like, "Yes, I do." Yeah. Yes, I do. Take the opportunity. <laughs> Boy, it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, when I was racing KT100 was the was the biggest class. Um, you know, shifters were still cool, um, but when I got into it, there was two three guys in the shifter class, and there was 22 25 guys racing the Yamahas. So I wanted to be with the with the big group, um, even though shifters probably would have been a little more fun. But yeah, uh, their shifters can get pretty crazy too. Yeah, hundred plus miles an hour. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, so you were much more experienced in karting. Why, and this has asked, been asked to me down at the kart track, why are, when, I, when we see quarter midgets for kids, mm-hmm. not kids, I mean, mostly kids, yeah, quarter midgets would be for kids, like mini sprints would be yeah. for older kids, right? They got the roll cage and everything. Why are carts, why is there no cage or seatbelt or anything in a cart? I they want you to get out of the way? They yeah, want you the, to get... the theory is, because carts can roll over, you know, it's especially race carts, you got open wheel tires and they can touch and they can flip over, et cetera, that kind of stuff. And the theory behind that is that you'd rather be thrown away from the cart and not have the cart be tangled up with you than to be tied to it. And if it flips over, you're underneath it. Um, so that, that's always been the theory in karting is you want to be away from that cart. If it flips over, let it go its own direction and you're not involved. Has that been your experience? I'm sure you've seen that happen. Has that been your experience? The guy, yeah, I've seen cars. Driver gets out and it seems mm-hmm. to be okay. It works good. Yeah, um, I can't say I've ever attended any like quarter midget stuff like you were talking about, where they've got the cage and they're belted in. Um, but I have seen people flip carts, and generally, it's probably a good thing that they're not tied up because then then you're then you're just kind of falling on your own. You can brace yourself, your legs, etc., that kind of stuff. If you're tied up with the cart, you know you may not be able to do that, and now you're going to land in awkward spots, and the cart's going to land right. on top of you, etc. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, and so how did you end up here at the, at the Audubon? What's that story? So the, the first 
mention I ever remember of Autobahn is I, I think I saw it in an article in Auto Week at one time that there was this track going to be built somewhere around Chicago, and I thought, oh, that, that sounds really cool, you know? Um, so what were you doing at the time about that? Oh, time? I, I don't even remember when I saw that article. Um, I think it was years before it was even going to be built. You know, it was like a mention of it. Or probably yeah. still a concept or something yeah. like that. Um, and I may even be wrong. Maybe it's maybe it wasn't even Auto Week. Um, but then someone came to me with the kind of the famous green map that we have of the tracks and said, hey, you ought to check this place out. They're building this thing right now. Um, and immediately I thought, yeah, I remember seeing an article about that. So um, started looking it up, found some information. And actually, um, I think probably I think Bagley was probably the first one I talked to. And that was uh, shortly before the brief soft opening, whatever you want to call it, in, in, in the fall of yeah. 2004. Yeah. And Tom said, come on out. We can use all the help we can get. So I came out for that one. And then, um, you know, that was kind of a kind of a crazy weekend because it was still so new and nobody really knew what was going on and what to do. Um, and not everything not everything was done, as, as Tom was saying last week. And then uh, so then for the next two years, uh, I worked just on weekends here. And so it was actually the third year um, that Audubon was open that I came full time. So what were you doing? Had you, what was your race? Did, had you been working like race stuff before, or were you? Uh, no, I was still I was still carting off and on and that kind of stuff. Um, but at that point, um, you know, um, most I wasn't really directly involved in racing. Well, I guess you know, flagging SCCA and things like that. Um, but um, I would had taken a break from karting, and so really wasn't involved in in any racing right at the time. Um, and then when we got started here. You know, I was, I was all in. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, that's very cool. And so, what was some of the first um, memories that you have? I mean, coming out as so, you came out on the weekends, and you I'd, come, just, I'd come out on the weekends, and so usually I was actually being race control okay. um, for whatever event we had, and um, so like whenever the motorcycles were out here, all that kind of stuff, um, I usually ended up being race control for them. Um, and then uh, when I came on full time, actually one of my first tasks given was um, that was when we had the Bobby Ray Hall historic races, um, and so oh, that I was. I don't know what, what was it. What was okay, that? so um, probably two thousand seven, uh, we were going to do these historic races with um, HSR, which is Historic Sports Car Racing, and it was going to be the Bobby Ray Hall historic races, and so that was our first major event full property that we were going to do on our own was it was it uh historic cars and drivers like old drivers were going to come back uh, mostly historic cars oh. um and there were a couple uh drivers obviously bobby ray hall was involved um i think elliot forbes robinson was here uh mostly because he was involved with the series um but it was mostly old cars and so um, you know, there was a lot of planning that had to go into that because we were expecting a lot of cars and spectators. We were selling tickets. Like so stock this was, cars or what kind of old cars? Uh, sports cars. Sports so cars. So these would be like like almost any kind of historic race car. There could be, there were stock cars there. There were formula cars. There were prototypes. Oh, wow. Um, older Everything. stuff. There was like a, an old Bugatti, things like that. It was some, some really cool stuff. And so this was going to be our first big event that we were selling tickets to. Um, it had all these hospitality tents and all that kind of stuff. And so, uh, you know, one of the, the tasks that I had was to figure out where all this was going to go, um, you know, where all the trailers were going to go, where all the tents were going to go, how it's all going to operate, the schedule and all that kind of stuff. And um, so we, 
we had things pretty planned out, and as we headed into the weekend of that, it had been raining all week long, and now Thursday night, this is the night where everything's going to start happening. It rained literally like six inches that night. Oh it just rained and rained and rained. Uh, the South Track, you know, eight turns eight and nine were flooded, like literally under a foot of water. Uh, we had to pump all that out, so it, it had a lot of challenges. Um, but it was kind of a neat. It was a neat thing to be part of. And at the end, when we got through it and it was successful, um, you know, you had that that good feeling about it. And so that was one of the first major events that I had to take care of. And then um, the and fo- how did that turn out? I mean, you got everything. The, the turnout was great. Yeah, the first year went really well. There was a lot of cool cars. Um, I, I don't remember the spe- the spectator count, um, but there was there was a good number of people that had come, and the members really enjoyed it. And so we decided to do it for a second year. And then the sanctioning body that we were involved with um, agreed to come the second year, and they just didn't bring the cool cars the second year for whatever reason, um, whether the weather had turned them off from the year before or what it was. And so it kind of took a little bit bit of a downturn. And then uh, I remember, so that was in that was in the summer, and then later on that same fall, Mark Basso came up to me and said, you know, what do you think if we did a pro race? I said, yeah, I'd be all in. He's like, okay, because I was talking to, uh, he had been talking to John Doonan, who's head of Mazda Motorsports, and uh, that's the first I heard of, okay, we're, we're thinking about doing a pro race. Yeah. So then the following two years is when we did the Autobahn Grand Prix, um, and that was, you know, the Atlantic Series and Trans Am and uh, Porsche GT3 Cup, um, Pirelli World Challenge. Um, you know, it was the, it was the wow. you know, the big-time pro guys just short of having an IndyCar race, you know. And so... Those, those events led into the other ones, uh, and then we did the pro racing for a couple of years. And, again, those were events that took, you know, a lot of planning and a lot of effort, um, you know, contracts with each different sanctioning body and planning for spectators and selling tickets and how we're going to feed everybody, where we're going to put everybody. Um, but, again, so that, that first um, pro Grand Prix, um, you know, you, you put a lot of effort into something like that, and it's successful and it's over. And there's such a feeling of not only relief, but, uh, you know, there's there's pride in that, that, you sure. know, wow, we, we actually pulled this off, you know. And uh, it was it was one of the high moments for all the staff around here because, you know, everybody had put blood and sweat and tears into it and to see it see it finished. And, you know, we had done well, mm-hmm. you know, that was it was a cool moment. It was one of the cool moments I've had here. Wow. And how many years at deck? So that was for another two years. So I think the first historic race was 07 and then 08, and then the pro races were 09 and 10. Is the reason they're not, I mean, the track, I mean, we're so busy here now. Is that kind of like the reason? You obviously shut down everything, right? Yeah, so that was that was one of the, the big considerations for both of these is that we had to shut down everything, everything for, for the, the whole weekend. Yeah. Um, so members didn't have any access to the track. So, you know, that's not taken lightly by any means. Um, and the members were really supportive of it. Um, and one of the keys was as long as it was being successful for the mm-hmm. club, you know, and certainly the first year it was. And then again, the second year of the pro race, it kind of died down a little bit. And, um, you know, we went a different direction. Um, but they, you know, they did they did a lot for the club as well, too, as far as exposure and getting the name out there. And, um, you know, a lot of the teams, the race teams now know about this place that didn't know about it before. Um, so it had a lot, it had a lot of benefits. Um but in the end, you know, it's a lot of work uh, to oh, get those things imagine. done because especially a place like this, it's almost like doing a temporary street race because none of the infrastructure is really in place. We don't have permanent grandstands that can hold 50,000 people, you right, know. Right. Um, so, you, so it's almost like, you know, doing a temporary street course. So it took a lot of work from a lot of people and, it, you know, it was taxing on the staff for sure. Um, 
you know, so, you know, the benefits to the, to the effort put in, um, you know, you could argue whether it was worth it or not. Um, it, they were definitely worth it at the time, but to continue it on, um, it probably wasn't going to be worth all the effort it was going to take to do that for minimal returns, you know? Yeah, I I can't imagine that everything is, I mean, even as you're trying to get all the equipment in here, the members can't get in here to do their thing yeah. and, and yeah. everything else. So. Um, members couldn't even get up to the clubhouse unless they had a golf cart because there was no, yeah, there was no, no parking here. The whole wow. paddock was full of, you know, haulers and all the stuff that comes with it, tire trailers and everything, you know. So, uh, so you're, so you come on board, this would have been 2000, you said seven-ish full-time? Yeah, so I think, uh, yeah, 2007 I think was full-time, yeah. And so you're from the ground, how did you learn all this stuff? I mean, I mean, it's just, it's overwhelming to me that to see it now, to think, you know, just 10 years ago, it was just getting underway. I think, I think a lot of it for a lot of people here was all figuring it out as we went. You know, for starters, um, certainly at the time, there was no other place like this. Right. Um, that had the country club element and two tracks and things like that. There's a few more that have popped up now. But so to be honest, I, I think a lot of us were making it up as we went along, uh, especially in those first early years, because um, there wasn't even that much staff. Everybody was kind of just doing whatever. And, um, you know, certainly when I came on board, it was a matter of just looking, okay, what are the needs? And then, you know, just start working on those first because everyone else had so much on their plate, um, but yet there was so much to do, you know, that there was plenty of things for me to look around and say, okay, I know that needs some attention, that needs some attention, and just start, you just start doing it. Checking it off. Yeah. So I know you're out here, well... I've been out here six days a week. I don't come out on Mondays, but are you, do you come out on Mondays too? Or do you uh, if we have events, I'm usually out here on Mondays. Um, and also that's a day where we get a lot of uh, track maintenance done and things like that. So, uh, so far this year, most Mondays they've been out here. Um, but I, I get a day off during the week. Boy, I never see, I, you're always, <laughs> you're always here taking <laughs> nah, care of things. I get them, I get them, I get them. So, and then, but in the winter, so we're open from, well, the club's open mostly uh, April through the end of October with some winter events one of my favorite, of course, being the, the rally cross stuff. So yeah. are you taking more time off in the winter? I take more time off in the winter. Okay. Yeah, for Good. sure. For sure. Much lighter load in the winter. Um, but still, you always get that question everybody asks, you know, what do you guys do all winter long? Um, but the work just never stops around here. There's contracts to prepare for the next year and there's calendars, um, you know, and everything that could have been better the previous year. You work on what can, you know, what can you do better? Um you know, and there's, you know, I got to do the race schedule and if there's the, you know, the rule book needs to be rewritten. So there's, there's always plenty to do. I start off the winter with a, you know, a checkoff list and I barely ever finish it. So, um, <laughs> but certainly a much lighter load in the winter. You know, you need that, you need a little break too. Well, I would imagine, uh, cause it's nonstop around here of, of excitement. So when you're, um, so as soon as you got started, what was the first kind of race series we might say that you guys had was so it would have been the miatas or Radicals so early or? early on we were doing um really just an exhibition race so it was kind of just on the festival weekends on sunday three o'clock we would just do a race for whoever had anything and just kind of line them up and go for a couple laps um and that was good to start with and then um it was it was probably 2007 maybe the end of 2007 where um sean young and a few other members approached me and they said, hey, we ought to get a Spec Miata series going. And um, I'm like, you know, that's, that's great. You know, uh, we just got to make sure we get enough people involved to do that. And uh, they, they spread the word over the winter and that following spring, um, 
you know, we had a good turnout of cars. The first race we had, the first Miata race we had, I think 17 cars. And I think the second race we were up to 24 and it's just taken off from there. That fall, kind of what kicked off that conversation is we had done um, kind of a spec series. Team Stradale at that time had a fleet of Z3s. Mm-hmm. And um, we kind of did a kind of an IROC series with those cars. And that kind of got the racing bug and, and everybody talking about racing around here. And uh, that's what sparked the conversation for the Spec Miata stuff. And then that following year, um, you know, those guys did a great job of spreading the word and helping people find cars. And, um, you know, that first year, right off the bat with Spec Miata, was successful. Were there, what was the main, was there a main, I mean, right now we know that the Spec Miata is here at the club. I hear there's 80, 70? Yeah, probably at least. Uh, at know, least. 70. So there's a lot. Yeah. Back then, what was it, was it Miata still one of the more popular ones? Or were guys just bringing all their... There's a lot of no, track-specific cars here. Well, mostly people. Yeah, they're, the, they're the early years, it was certainly a lot more street cars around okay. here. Um, you know, there'd be race cars once in a while, um, and even like formula cars, which are pretty common now. It'd be rare that'd be a treat if someone brought you know a nice formula car out of whatever kind it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first couple of years was definitely mostly street cars, and um, it was it was mostly inexperienced guys that didn't have much track time. And uh, so it's really amazing how it's grown now that, uh, you know, while we still have that for inexperienced guys to come and learn and that kind of stuff, there's certainly a racing element to this club. There is, um, yeah. That's, that's become extremely important, yeah. Yeah, wow. So uh, Miata's was the first series. Mm-hmm. And then what, 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 was, what happened after that? So probably, probably actually shortly after we started the Miata series, we actually started the Chase Race series. And that was kind of born from, there was a group that was out here and did um, a similar type of thing, but it was more an enduro race. So it was like an hour-long race, and they were gapped, um, and they had to do pit stops, and it really got confusing, and people weren't understanding the timing and that kind of stuff. And so we kind of sat down and said, okay, how can we take that concept and make it much simpler? Um, so that's where I came up with the chase race. And so then we started that about the same time as well, too. And that that gained in popularity pretty quickly as well, too, um, because that one you don't need a, a racing license to do. Anyone can come and do a chase race. So even these guys with just the streetcars had something to be involved in as well, too. Um, so the chase races got pretty popular. Um, and so... Uh, it may have been the following year after that. Um, well, within the next couple of years is when we started adding, you know, formula cars um, and the GT cars and things like that. And so each of those um, took a little bit longer to get off the ground. Um, you know, part of the difference is, you know, spec Miatas were very uh, available and relatively cheap for a race car. Um, you know, you start talking GT cars, you're talking a lot more expensive yeah, cars sure, and, you know, yeah. tires and everything like that, too. So it takes a little bit longer to forget for that to get going. Um, and we started out with formula cars. We started out with uh, Formula Mazda. It's a standard Formula Mazda, which is the older type of car. And it was going to be the Senna Series. So everyone put on historic paint jobs on their oh, cars. Cool. So when you oh, see yeah. the yeah. Formula cars running around here and you're like, oh, that looks like a Formula One car. They had all put historic paint jobs on their cars, from John Player Special to um, you know the the famous Williams, some of the Williams stuff and Ferrari stuff, and so that's why some of those uh, Formula cars are painted like that. That was from the original Senna series, oh. and so we had a whole bunch of group of guys that were doing that, um, and so that was our first Formula car series. And now it's grown since then, where uh, you know then the Radicals came on board and um, got real popular. So now our Radical series is growing as well. 
And so, you know, that's that's how we end up with a whole variety of, of kind of everything. Um, you know, you name it, we race it. And then beyond that, we've added, like, you know, you know, the rally cross and karting series now and autocross. And uh, so really we kind of have, we touch on everything. Yeah, and it, it is a lot of fun. About the only thing I, I don't have a race license yet, and I'm that's on my list. Eventually, <laughs> I'm trying. To, <laughs> I'm trying to get my family all up to speed on everything else that we're doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I, I think eventually I, I'll like to do that. It, it, it's intriguing to me. I know my my son is dying to do that. So we. Yeah, I know he is. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, um, if my son is listening, get back to studying. That's the, that's the <laughs> deal. So. Uh, so as you're developing each one of these um, race series uh, events, how I, I know it, it kind of morphs every year. I mean, you have a you have a race meeting every winter, right? Generally, yeah. To, to for the guys to come in, and you make some adjustments. Um, how often are do you make adjustments every year? Slight adjustments every uh, year. It depends on what's going on. Um, so really, the racing. Um, you know, is mostly uh, based on what, what the members want as far as how many races a year, how long we want to do the races and that kind of stuff. And it's kind of my job to filter all those opinions and come up with what I think is best for the club. And so if there's something big out there, like a rule change or something like that, we'll try and have a winter meeting and, and discuss what our options are, where we want to go. And we don't have a, win- we don't have a meeting every winter. Um, if things are status quo, there's, there's really no okay. need for it. Um, but uh, we always have those ongoing conversations, for sure, in the driver's meetings. And um, I, I try and talk with as many people as I can to, you know, find out what's on their mind and what, what's going on. And, uh, you know, some people are good at giving me, you know, the pulse of what's going on and, you know, other things when it comes to, you know, tech and things like that and things that people may be doing to cars. And they might be a little more hesitant to tell me what's going on. I got to figure it out on my own, but, uh, but that's racing, you know, that's the way it goes. Um, so we try, we try and do, you know, what it is the members want and, uh, what's going to be best for the club. And so since we've been doing this for many years now, um, like even the spec Miata series, at one point we had gone up to 16 races. I think we started out at 10 and we had gone up to 16 races. Now we cut it back to 14, and it's been 14 for a couple years now. Um, and the same thing with the GT cars. Um, it started out just doing those on those festival weekends, and now it's now it's 10 races a year. Um, so it's you know a little more than once a month for when we're open. Um, so all those kind of things are, are based on you know what the guys want to do, um, and uh, you know as far as how many races count for points and et cetera and those kind of things. Um, you know, and then of course there's always, you know, the stuff that goes along with racing, if there's contact and things like that. So then I've got to sort through those things and, um, you know, figure out what, what level we think is acceptable for, not only for the club, but what the members think is acceptable. Um, so that's always a challenge. Um, but it's all part of racing. Do you see the the future of the racing? Do you see a, a new, well, didn't last year I see a form? Wasn't there that Spec Ford Racer? Was there a Spec Ford Racer? We race have here? we have several members, probably probably even twelve that have Spec Racer Fords, spec um, racer Fords that run in SCCA and Midwest yeah. Council and things like that. Um, and so yeah, we'd we'd love to get them out here racing more. Uh, they're still traveling a lot, running SCCA races, and so. Um, you know, with so many different groups that are out there, it's it's hard to avoid everybody's outside races. Um, but uh, you know, we put in an effort to find at least a few dates where hopefully those guys can come out, um, and they'll run 
probably at the same time as the standard Formula Mazdas, and we've got several guys who have the Pro Mazdas. Um, so many of the guys moved from the standard Formula Mazda to the Pro Mazda, which is a much newer car, um, faster car. It's got more power. It's got better downforce. Um, so we have a bunch of guys that have Pro Mazdas. Um, but outside races as well, too, a lot of our GT guys race with Porsche Club. And so, you know, we have to look at the Porsche Club dates and try and avoid those so we can have more people here running with us. Uh, oh yeah, um, sure. So there's always, a, there's always a balance with wow. all that of, um, you know, we there's 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 a good argument of you know why would you go race anywhere else because everything is right here mm -hmm. but you know people want to experience other tracks so you know that's that's great as well too and they get more experience that way um, but we've had a lot of guys that have done uh, you know the SCCA race and the Porsche Club racing and that kind of stuff and they come race here and they just lose interest in all that traveling and the hotels and you know carrying you know pulling a trailer and carrying your car and all that sure. kind of stuff when you can just come here and put your car in the garage, come out, race, have dinner, and go home. You know, I mean... You, you. It, it is convenient. Um, so that's that, that's an amazing amount of... I mean, just right there, when I think about that, what you do just for the, the racing aspect of it. In addition to that, everything else that goes on on the track, like the corner workers. You're yeah. involved in the training and overseeing. Are you one that's hiring those guys, too? And Well, so I've and, got... And, I've got four departments that directly report to me so it's the the corner workers um which includes the race control people the safety team the cart track uh, the maintenance guys um and so that each of those departments oh, wow. has a department head um so bob watts is the head of the flagging department so um a lot of the training and the hiring and stuff like that will go through him um but i stay involved with those guys um particularly the race control people because they are such an integral part of uh the club here um you know it's an important position it's a it's a tough position because uh, you've got to keep the track safe, which means sometimes you have to, you know, black flag a member and tell them they're not abiding by the rules, you know, in a nice voice. And uh, they're not always so happy about that. And so that that puts the race control people in a really tough position. Um, you know, most of the members are really great around here uh, and they enjoy working with them. Um, but the race control guys have a big responsibility to keep the track safe. And, um, you know, they know they can always call me if they have an issue but for the most part they do a great job of just keeping things running uh, and they know what they need to do and then you know every year there's new flaggers um, so uh, you know they get trained by myself and by the race control people and by Bob um, so we have a we have a pretty good group of flaggers and one of the advantages we have here with our flaggers is that um, they get so much experience so quickly you know at other tracks that may only be open on the weekends or have you know oh, one or yeah, two events per week that. yeah they don't get all that exposure and plus with all our member racing they're getting exposed to racing constantly so our flaggers end up being very good pretty quickly um how soon before they're like cleared solo and out on their uh generally it's three days generally they'll, they'll okay. work with someone for three days before they go out on their own um, and it's still a continuing process, so obviously the race control people can hear them over the radio, and um, you know they'll correct them if they need to, if the if the call need to be better. Um, but then they'll meet at lunchtime or after work and just kind of take them to the side and say, you know, I had it. Here's the situation, and here's how you could have handled it, et cetera, that kind of stuff. So it's it's always an ongoing thing. I, I think that one one thing that I I try to do, being still a not a, maybe not a young guy, but I sure feel like young and revolved in regards to going around a track is is welcome i mean i don't know everything and i want to always make sure when people have told me to do something or say hey don't do that or do this or here's how that happens i think it's really important to 
for, for them to be comfortable telling you that so to make them feel it's okay. Hey, hey, you can say that to me. You yeah, know, you yeah. might be in your twenties and I'm in my fifties, but you still got to say that to me. And thanks for saying that to me. Sometimes it's not so easy to say something to an older person or something. And um, I, I think it's we all need to be very welcoming when that happens because uh, I, I don't know what I don't know. Yeah, yeah, and they're obviously doing it for you know your best interest. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's absolutely, to absolutely keep to keep the track safe, um, you know, and, and to allow all the members to enjoy it as well too, and um, you know, and most everybody is great at that, um, but it's a it is a it is a big responsibility for the race control guys, and you know, I'm I'm a little bit biased because they're part of my team, but uh, I think they're one of the most important positions out here. Yeah, they. It, I think, of course, I think they do they do a great job. Yeah. Um, and so, and it is so. You've got the race control people, which includes. I know we've touched on this in another podcast, which is the, um, which I think is pretty cool. So the the noon hour touring, one of the race, one of the flaggers, yeah, can can sign up for that. So they're doing that also, yeah, as as an additional duty, fun duty, fun yeah, du- drive, fun driving du- the pace car, driving the pace car for for touring, which is which is pretty cool. Who drives the pace car for um, races? Uh, it's still the flagging staff, yeah. Oh, do they? Really? So among the race control people and the flagging staff, we have another kind of subgroup of people um, that help with the races. Um, and so we've got another, another. We've got a couple new people we're working into that this year. Um, but for a lot of, for most of the races, um, the people we have working those races, whether it be grid, pace car, timing, starter, all those things that are involved, um, they've actually been doing this for a lot of years, and. Uh, that core group of people that we've been doing these races with for so long, um, I'm always very appreciative to have them because we work so well as a team that a lot of things get just are unsaid. We know someone's taking care of that, someone's taking care of that, oh, and cool. there's nothing that really ever gets missed because one of us is going to think of it. You know, sure. not that nothing ever gets missed, um, but it's been a core group of guys, uh, you know, guys and girls that have been doing that for. Uh, a long time and we just we just work really well together and um you know it, it's kind of amazing you go to uh you know I, I i make my way out to other tracks once in a while and uh you see some of the other groups at work and um you know the experience level and the you know the the dedication that we've got from our team uh really is second to none than anything i've seen at any other track um they're just they're just great, and they and they love it. They're passionate about this place. That's why they want to be involved in the the member racing because that's fun for them too. You know, um, doing all that stuff is much more than being a, a spectator. Even being a flagger is much more than being a spectator. You're you're involved, and you're you're having a, a difference on the races. And uh, you know, of course, they have their guys that they root for. You know, and their you know their arch enemies and that kind of stuff. Um, but everyone does great about being fair and balanced as well too. Is you know. Just because that's your favorite driver, you're not going to show him any consideration sure. if he's late for grid or sure. you know he's not coming up on the timing system or something like that. Um, so there's there's a there's a lot of little things that go into pulling those races off, and um, we have really good people that are are um, excellent at just making that all happen. I know that the flaggers talk about it, you know, all day long out there in the sun, in the heat, oh, yeah. watching everything, not being distracted by you know by anything that could happen particularly what phones nowadays and books and a bird and i know that the corner workers can um they have to spend all day out there what what can we do i know every day and with well, the couple years that i've been here is it the last week the last saturday of the year corner workers get to can get a ride along is that 
Yeah, so sometimes it's after we close, sometimes it's the last Saturday. Um, that's one of the, the uh, great days around here is it's the worker appreciation party. Um, so that's when members can come out and give rides um, to all the workers, not just the corner workers, but any, you know, the, ca- the okay. cafe staff, anybody who wants a ride. Um, so they, they love doing that. And we're going to try and do that sometime midsummer as well, too, this year um, to give a better opportunity. Sometimes that those late days, you know, it's cold and that kind of stuff. Um, so we're going to try yeah, and do, some, we're gonna try and do yeah, something midsummer cool. um, and give that opportunity as well, too. Um, and it's good for them to experience as well, to get out on track and, uh, you know, know what the driver's seeing and that speed and how quickly they're closing in on the flagging stations and all that kind of stuff. So it's good experience. <laughs> is, uh, but, of course, it's fun. Is, is that something that we can, we can ask you, say, um, we need a quarter work or something, you know, and say, can we give them rides outside of that time? Yeah, sure. I mean, sure. so just clear, clear um, that. always willing to do that. Um, you know, and as long as, uh, you know, myself or anybody else has time to go out and cover for them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, <clears throat> or inviting them on one of their days off or, or how, how many total corner workers? What's how big is that staff? I think there's about 30 on the staff right now. Um, probably might, maybe a little more than that. Um, but it's it's a variety of availability as well too. So there's some some guys that are going to school, um, so they might might only be available a couple of days a week. Um, we do have people that have full time jobs and they work on the weekends. Um, so you know that that staff is thirty thirty five. That doesn't mean there's that many people sure. available every single day. Um, but you know uh, we we get the days covered. Uh, then of course there's you know days when we have you know evenings in our uh, you know events in the evening and things like that um so they they stay pretty busy um but yeah if there's opportunities when when someone's out here um that we can you know give someone a ride and yeah, there's no problem it's great yeah i think that that's highly i would assume it'd be highly highly beneficial to see what it looks like behind mm-hmm. the yeah um behind the windscreen there to see for sure you know everything that the driver is seeing hmm. um what's the, the Shifting gears just a little bit. What's the history of the the cart track? Was the cart track here when you got here? Cart track was not here. Um, trying to think what year it was actually built. Maybe it was '08 that would actually got started. Um, so I remember when we were moving around dirt to get that cart track started, um, and and the cart track as it is now was part of the original Alan Wilson design for the cart track. He had you know this big huge cart track with 30 different configurations designed um, and that was the portion that got built initially and so um, you know the cart track was another one of those things that took a while to get it going and so we, we bought a fleet of carts and um, you know we had a guy down there and uh, we started doing events and it's been slow growth down at the cart track uh, until the last couple years where all of a sudden um, things are really kind of starting to, to happen down there and part of that was um, getting involved with Margay and the Ignite carts. Um, you know, we, we get a lot of groups around here that say, you know, oh, we've got this cool kit car that all your members are going to love. And, you know, the guys come and go and, you know, it never really takes off. And Margay approached us, you know, we've got this great go-kart that all your members are going to love. And they thought, okay, you know, fine, we'll, we'll take a look at it. Um, but when they, when they came out with it, um, I was actually immediately impressed because it had all the right parts in it. Coming from a karting background, I knew what to look for. Mm-hmm. It had all the right good parts on it, and the price was right, and they had a good package for it. Um, and being a sealed motor and a spec tire, you know, very similar to our spec Miata series, um, you know, I think it was Mark and I were down there, kind of looked at each other like, yeah, this this could work. This could actually be a, a good hit. And so um, that was in the summer, and by that fall, we were selling – 
Ignite carts. And, uh, you know, next thing you know, we're, we're an Ignite dealer and probably one of their busiest dealers. And now we have Uh, 50-plus I've even lost. I've even lost count. It might I even know. be up to sixty. That's amazing. Uh, those ignite carts, and so, so the cart track got really busy with that. Um, and then as time grew as well, uh, we started doing bigger corporate events and things like that. Um, so and then we added the uh, connectors over to the skid pad so that the cart track could be expanded. Uh, so that's that almost, was that's even, twice as big when you just idea? about just, just about, about twice, twice as, as big. big. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Extension. Yep. Um, yeah, and then then last year we even got to the point where we were hosting you know outside carding sanctioning bodies doing their own events. Um, so it's kind of kind of be exciting to see where the cart track goes in the next couple of years because it's obviously in a in a growth area um, and it's you know going to get more and more attention and obviously uh, we've got more and more members down there racing. Um, it's kind of one of those funny things that people who don't go onto the cart track may not realize sometimes how busy it is. And sometimes that's, you know, that can be the busiest place on property, the cart track. I mean, you've, you've seen it down there. Yeah, we there spend... There can be a lot of people down there. We spend a lot of time down there. And, and I, I think one thing for me is I try to always take a deep breath when I get here because it's such a rush. And we rush <laughs> up here. It's an hour and a half drive for us. Yeah. We rush up here. You know, we're trying to make, as soon as the cart track opens or as soon as this opens. And so we're over there and then we're rushing back over there to do touring. And... Um, I just always laugh that we're you know, we come to the racetrack and we rush everywhere <laughs> trying to get it all yeah, in. Yeah, and we should only be rushing on the track when we're driving and try to enjoy it a little bit more. But there is a lot that goes on. The the team I can't offer enough uh praise for the team down there. Um Kyle and Yeah, between and Kyle Mario and Mario and Justin down there, yeah, we've got some it's, great it's, guys. It's it's great. I mean every it, it's just a lot of fun. It's a good atmosphere. And I know that last um, we had our third, second or third, however you want to look at it, a league race, technically third, but um, and the atmosphere there. I just, I mean, someday we'll do even more of a I'm trying to get Margay to to spend some time with us on the podcast and talk about that. But I tell you that the atmosphere down there, yeah, is pretty cool. And um, we met you know, some new members that were there and we actually spent this last weekend with them over in Galena. They have a house over in Galena and oh, okay. we went over there and spent some time with them over there. And one thing to, to really, we're all in on the, the carding also. <laughs> and I, I hope we stay all in for, for quite some time, even after my kids get older and everything. Um, yeah. Carding is definitely not just for kids, but we had one, um, guy that his chain came off and of the sprocket and uh what was actually it was the i don't know what you would call that's the the fiber piece that's on either side of the sprocket in the back I'm not yeah sure. it's or, just a the protector guard, yeah. the guard came off and there were three people frantically helping to get that car cart back on the track for qualifying yeah frantically all working together and that was to me, that was the epitome of it's why so we're cool. all there, yeah. what we want to happen. And so we were able to get the uh, the young guy back on a track to qualify and uh, and made it. And it was just really cool. Yeah, something that really has struck cool. me down down there in the last year or so. And um, I haven't spent as much time at the kart track as I had uh, in previous years, um, mostly because Kyle is handling some of that. And, you know, Mario and Justin are at the kart track all the time. Um, but in the last year with this kart racing league that we've been doing, I've seen some of the kids who 
didn't know each other at all. And now this year I see them and they're hanging out and they're, you know, going to have lunch together and, and they're becoming buddies. Um, and it's just kind of a neat thing to watch. Uh, maybe even a couple, you know, uh, crushes happening down there with some of them. <laughs> You've seen that. Uh, we won't You've mention any it. names. You've noticed that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's but nice. it's really neat to see because nice. it's 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 the kid level of what you see a lot um, up here at the clubhouse, and that's you know going back to the member racing. That's been a big thing with the member racing is the friendships that have formed out of that. You know, because where else can you go where you know you're racing against these guys you know and then you have dinner with them and a beer later and you're going to see them again next weekend and do the same thing over um you know and you're not all traveling to different parts of the country um you know you might live you know there's guys that have found out oh i only only the five minutes away from me you know and so there's long-lasting friendships that have come out of that racing series um that just makes you part of the the family around here and it's that's one of the most important parts about the racing is the, the social and the camaraderie that comes with it. I, I think that it has had an element, you know, or, or the friends we met when we first started, uh, you know, the rally crossing because we were the only ones out here yeah. and then visiting afterwards. And some of the best times I can remember here after right. the rally, yeah. <laughs> after the rally cross race. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's down there too. So I do encourage everybody, you know, lapping's great, but, and it doesn't have to be fierce competition either. I mean, even the chase races is super fun. Chase races are very low key. The autocrosses are so fun. Um, and you know, uh, very low preparation and danger and things like that. Um, you know, we do car shows once in a while. Um, yeah, so I'm with you. I think, you know, I would encourage members to just get involved in something, no matter what it is, whatever your taste is, you know, we've got a variety of things, but you're gonna you're gonna meet people. You're gonna meet some neat people at the club, um, and that's where the, the friendships come from. And you know, there's there's plenty of people that come out here and they never even go on track because they're just meeting their friends in the clubhouse and gonna have dinner and some drinks. Yeah, yeah. You know. So, uh, what if you had something that you'd want all the drivers to know? Uh, <laughs> everything, right? Uh, it, Let me get the book out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, is there is there something that uh, you would like everybody to know, or uh, I guess I'm, um, you know, one element that's not being addressed enough or. Well, um, you know, as we're getting into the summer months, it's not a major deal, but one reminder for members is that, you know, you do have to wear long pants to get out on track. So long sleeve quick, shirts? Not, long sleeve shirts, not required, but okay. long, long pants are. Okay. Um, and I only say that because that's was on my mind an hour ago. Um, but no, as far, no, as far no, as no flip flops, no flip flops. <laughs> no, no. Um, you know, as far as, uh, something regarding the track, you know, I would say don't ever hesitate to ask questions. Um, nobody knows it all out there. And even Tom and Tony, while they know a lot of stuff, they're continually learning as well too. I, I hear Tom it in the and office. Tony are the, yeah. And the instructors, the instructors. Um, so, you know, don't ever hesitate to, to ask. Um, and, there's, you know, decide your level that you want to do of driving. And, you know, when you want to take it to the next level, find people that'll help you take it to the next level in the right way. Um, that, that experience level is around here and, um, you know, people should take advantage of that. So when you're not here, (laughs) what do you like to do? What do you like to how do you like to relax? Most of my favorite? time not here is spent with family. Um, you know, with limited time off, that, that time becomes very important. Um, my son has just got into motocross racing, so and he how? just had his first race. Oh, no way. How old is he? Yeah, so I've got nine-year-old twins. Nine-year-old twins, okay. Yeah, yeah. so my son's uh, very into dirt bikes, and my daughter uh, is into horses, so she's taking lessons as well. 
young ladies in uh, in, in horseback riding, which I think is great, or, or sons in horseback riding. Uh, it's you know, I think, yeah. it's, I think it's great too. So, where, and, where, and regardless, I think the kids need something like that to be involved cool. in, and I think those are both good things to be involved in. So where in. did your son have them? For, what's his name? What's your kid's name? Uh, Joshua. Joshua. Where did he have his motocross races? Uh, so there is a track only about 10 minutes from here called Joliet Motorsports Park or Joliet Motocross Park, whatever it is. Um, and they have Saturday night races. So I leave out of here a little bit early and we can shoot right over there and we, we can go to practice during the week and things like that. So it's working out pretty well. Um, you know, he had thought about go-karting, but I have to work every weekend. I can't take him to the go-kart track, so that wasn't going to work so well. So when I found out they had Saturday night races, uh, that's working out pretty hey, what well. What kind of, is he like a... He's, a, he's got a KTM 50. A KTM 50, Yeah, so okay. it's a pretty small bike, and uh, at his age, by next year, he'd have to move up to a 65. That's and that's a big yeah, jump. Now you're a talking big. a six-speed 65. Um, so we're just taking it as it goes this year, and so far he's doing well, and he's enjoying it. Um, so we'll just see where it takes us. It's a huge jump from 65 to 85. I mean, that's a huge yeah, jump. Yeah, I mean, it really is. I mean, it, yeah. and some of those, man, the, the new bikes nowadays But are But crazy. it's funny, you know, when he first got on the 50 and learned how to ride, you know, you're nervous because it seems like a lot of bike for him. You know, and now even just his body size, I can see where, okay, he's going to outgrow this bike in a year and he'll be ready for a 65, you know, so it's, it's funny. Yeah, you, know, like, you see the same thing down at the go-kart track too is the kids, you know, moving up to the next level and you watch them grow. And I can't tell you how many members, kids around here, um, you know, you see them years later and you're like, wait a minute, I, you were, you know, <laughs> you were three feet tall. How can, how can you be full grown now? You know? Yeah. Um, so that's cool. And besides that, um, you know, so we, we live out in the, uh, the country pretty much. And so we've got five, five acres out there. So, you know, I love, you know, putzing around the property and taking care of it and things like that. And so that's my piece. That's my downtime. Well, by, we have, uh, we mow, I think we mow at our house around three acres, and this is the first year, so my son's 13, so this is the first year that he's supposed to be mowing right now. We'll see. If <laughs> he says, it's too wet to mow. I said, I'm sure it'll dry out this afternoon. But So it was always nice um, now that I have a little yard help. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm getting some help. of that as well, too, so that's, that's, that's appreciated. That's very cool. That's very cool. Um, okay, so how, uh, as we wrap up here, how can people get a hold of you? Um, so easiest way, honestly, is email. So it's Mike Gritter, my name, M-I-K-E-G-R-I-T-T-E-R at autobahncc.com. Um, that's the easiest way. Um, but I try and make myself available. My office is in the South Tower here. Um, I make trips up to the clubhouse once in a while. If you see me, don't hesitate to say hi, introduce yourself if I don't know you. Um, I'd love to get to know you. And, um, you know, anytime. Wow. Well, thank you for being on the podcast. I was Glad looking, to be on it. I was looking yeah. forward to hearing a little bit about your background and uh, um, the history of the club here and the racing. So uh, thanks again. Yeah, that'll be part of it. Thank you. You've been listening to Autobahn Country Club Podcast, where your host, club member John Graybill, opens the doors to America's premier auto sports club. Join us next time for Autobahn Country Club Podcast.